0: Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. This is Margie O'Meara with GBA Strategies.
1: And I'm Kristen Soltis anderson Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And
0: each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So I don't know what news we have today. I
1: mean, we have... There's always so much news. I have to do like a little plug for some of our podcasty friends. Sure. Sh- f- friend of the show shows. There is a podcast like live show thing going down at AEI on Friday, May 11th. And I can't go but there are a whole host of interesting shows Jonah Goldberg's The Remnant, my my girl's at Lady Brains. There's a whole bunch of different shows that are all doing live shows at AEI that day. So I wanted to just give them a little plug. Is that where like
0: the Republican resistance headquarters is? <laughs> at AEI? <Yes.
1: laughs> uh, I can't give you that information. Okay, we are, are – the location of our base is uh, the, a secret classified at the highest levels. <laughs> okay. Fair enough.
0: Fair enough. Um, that's good. Well, that's exciting. Yeah.
1: So it's it's also a big week in Washington because it is nerd. Pro- God, I can't believe I just called it that. It is White House Correspondents Association yes. dinner week. Yes. Uh, I just got my hair done and marching and are going to pretty some pretty fancy parties. I'm just together. going to one. I'm just going to one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm we're, I, we're we're we are going to the same yes. one fancy party. I'm very excited. I. I've been really into Rent the Runway lately, and I like – I have my, my whole ensemble for the next few days picked, but I'm not doing anything on the dinner day itself. I have a bar mitzvah. I made the wise decision to get married on April 28th, six years ago, which inevitably gives me an excuse not to do anything with the dinner that I don't want to be like, oh, it's my anniversary. I can't. I'm yes. sorry.
0: So we will see each other on Sunday, and if you know us – I-R-L, and you see us, you should um, say hello. Yes. And, by the way, I had
1: somebody just approach me yesterday. I went to a meeting, you know, in an undisclosed location at our secret (laughs) page. All ten of you, yes. Uh, All ten of us. And um, the staff assistant, uh, young man, was like, you're Kristen from the pollsters. And he was a listener to our show. Uh, And so it's always nice to encounter encounter folks
0: out in the wild. Yes. I was talking to a new client who said – uh, do you get sick of people telling you that you uh, that we listen to the pollsters? I am like never, never, <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> All ten of you, no, <laughs>
1: never. If you already told us once, you can tell us again. Yes, it's possible. I forgot. <laughs> it's totally I forget fine. lots of
0: important things. It's totally fine. <laughs> okay, so just like last week, there is a lot of polling going on. I think it's going to be kind of like this.
1: Yeah, we whittled our script from down now on. to about fifty percent of its original length yes. before today, so yes. we're going to try to pack in as much as we can. Yes. So this week's top lines, Trump's numbers have. Not moved. Have Jim Comey's as his book tour has proceeded. We will take a look. plus, we'll get into some new polling about that most elusive of creatures, the non-voter. What do we know about them? we'll find out. Then we don't like to get too divisive around here, so we're going to just talk about guns, drugs and abortion right. if if that's okay with you guys. Just another Wednesday, just another, PM. you know, another day for for totally non-controversial topics. Then Starbucks has been in the news lately and it has not been for tasty frappuccinos. We will talk about the latest polling on Starbucks's Controversies over race and their response. And finally, we'll talk about the movies that people have told Variety magazine they are most excited to see this summer. But first, the poll of the week, millennials versus boomers. This is the true Infinity War.
0: <laughs> There's never been a crossover. What does that mean? There's never been a crossover. The
1: Most ambitious crossover event of all time. I'm I'm doing i uh, I'm doing a panel in three weeks with it's me, Michael Gerson, and Ramesh Panuru, and I've already decided that's what I'm captioning, like whatever photo I Instagram. <laughs> that's funny. like a bunch of center righty nerd good. folks. The most ambitious crossover. That's event of good. All time. You know, it's good. Then someone might get it. Someone might get it. See, now you all have. I've, it's it's actually not funny if people know
0: that it's like premeditated weeks in advance. That's actually just sad. As opposed to just rolling off the tongue. Yeah. But so somebody tweeted out this image and it's from a Survey Monkey. It's got that Survey Monkey Axios font to it. Um, and in their exclusive poll, this is point number two. I don't know what points one or three are. It doesn't really quite matter. But it says millennials say boomers ruins their lives. <laughs>
1: It's a dramatic headline for sure. I don't know that the data necessarily supports the drama of the headline. Uh, But the question is, have the baby boomers made things better or worse for your generation? For millennials, 51% say worse. Gen X, 42% say worse. The boomers, 3 out of 10 boomers say the boomer generation has made us worse. And the silent generation, the, the they're I, they're not the parents of the boomers because the greatest generation is the parents of the boomers. Right. Silence are like the parents of Gen X. Right. Uh, and even 32 percent of them say, yes, the boomers have ruined our lives. I guess as a Gen Xer, would you say millennials have ruined your life? No.
0: Thanks. I don't think so. Even though so. we can't peel potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know how to poach an egg or – yeah. No, I wouldn't say that. But – um. But it's, it just seems like – it seems like a heck of a – it's a heck of a question to ask, right? It is. And, and it's I, not about any other generation, although I, maybe this is very millennial of me. I'm like, oh, point millen- number two, millen- that's we, fine. I'm just We millennials this. haven't had
1: time to wreak our full devastation. And I don't
0: have time <laughs> yeah. to read the other points of whatever this release is. But um, so maybe all the other questions were about, well, have Gen Xers ruined your lives? But I suspect not because I suspect that would have been like no, cobbled together You guys get to
1: fly graphic. under – Gen X flies under the radar. Everybody kind of likes Sully's. them or does Flannel selves, yeah, yeah. you guys are fine. Like, mil- it's millennials and boomers that everybody just hates slash can't stop talking about.
0: Yes. And then they had another sort of generational warfare piece. I mean, maybe warfare is a little bit strong. But it, this was AP and ORC did a poll about passwords. And it sort of kind of poked fun a little bit on how people – update or think about their passwords, how many people write down all their passwords on paper. Older folks, like over half of people, 60 over, write down on paper their passwords, which I would never occur to me to do. You know, that seems like –
1: There was a time that I had all of my passwords written down on a piece of paper in the safe at our house mm. just in case, like, I got hit by a bus and my husband needed to, like, get important stuff out of my Gmail. Yeah. And then he, working in the computer and tech industry, was like, this is insane. Can you please not write this down? (laughs) Like, there are other solutions. And so he got me into the wonderful world of 1Password and so – yeah. Which one password does not mean you use the same password for every service. Right. Rather, you have one password that cracks open this app that has encryptedly stored all of your various passwords. Yeah. So and, your
0: brain doesn't have to remember them, but you also don't have to write them down. Um, so, yeah. And then the other thing is like how many people just cha- use different password for every single online service you can't. Someone can't – like if they get one password, then they can crack open everything you have. Um, And then somebody also wrote – so the people who wrote the standards about what kind of passwords people should have, they revised their best password practices last year and they regret some of the original recommendations Mm -hmm. of what kind of password to do, particularly that – Passwords should change frequently and they must contain both upper and lowercase letters with required symbols. Oh, those – yeah, those are the new guidelines. Well, no, so that – What that, were the old guidelines? No, so those
1: were the old guidelines. So they, the, the, they revised the practices last the, – the old guidelines were the passwords to change frequency contain – What's wrong with that? So the real thing that you should do is just have a password that's extremely long. Mm. Because if someone is going to like brute force attack you right. and they're just going to whip through combinations of things, it doesn't matter if it's you got an exclamation point here right, and the right. number of six there and whatever. It, all that matters is the every new character you add exponentially mm. lengthens the amount of c- computing time it would take to bust in. And you can pick something that – is like a sentence that is easy to remember, like much more so than if you were like polsters, asterisk, exclamation point five, six, right. two, period, right. MK. That's not our password. And that would now we know a far better password would be the polsters is a great podcast.
0: Just one word. Also, not our pass. Also, not our password.
1: Please don't try <laughs> but to hack a true guess. True
0: statement. But that feel that's, free to use it as your own password.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so I'm, I am, it, I'm a little surprised to discover that it is young people who are the most delinquent about not ha- like just using the same password for everything. But I think we're also just less freaked out about technology. Right. Whereas I think for older like come folks, at me. yeah, are like, what do you mean I have to? You know, so they're more attentive and thoughtful.
0: Speaking of attentive and thoughtful, what's going on with the president these days?
1: Uh Planting a tree.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, my gosh. That picture. Speaking of the most ambitious crossover event of all time, the photo of them planting that tree. So I spent all day on Sunday doing yard work. Right, But when I say yard, the front yard of my house is tiny. I mean it's – It's less than 100 square feet. Right. It's itty-bitty. Yes. So under no circumstances should it have required seven different trips to the hardware store. Right. But it did. But most of the day, like Chris was the one with our one shovel digging holes as I stood on the sidewalk, like monitoring the situation and making sure things were lined up properly. And a lady even walked by, like, out jogging and she was like, you're doing a good job supervising to me. And I was like – Thanks, lady. Like I'm thinking <laughs> she's being sarcastic, but I don't care. And so when I saw that picture of Melania like in the cape it and means. heels watching the president put the dr- – I was like that was my weekend right. basically. Yes, basically.
0: they're very relatable. When I, th- when I see Melania and President Trump planting a tree, that I also think that they remind me of <laughs> myself. <laughs> what a relatable tableau that, that photo right. He's was. He's doing physical labor.
1: Yeah. That's a thing. Uh, But his job approval has not moved again. And in fact, Nate Silver actually tweeted about this a couple days ago. Nate Nate Silver, now of ABC News. uh, Yeah, noting that like the news constantly feels crazy and the polling on the president is constantly constant.
0: Yeah, Mr. 42%.
1: Hasn't changed. And and so the big news, I guess, has been the Comey book and the revelations around it. Uh, We've got some polling from SurveyMonkey and Axios. Uh, I believe SurveyMonkey and Axios. Yes, It's Axios, so I'm inferring that it's SurveyMonkey? Yes. You're right.
0: You're right about both those things.
1: Um, How do you feel about Trump's firing of Jim Comey? Speaking of consistent, the numbers are literally the same from June 2017 to April 2018. 55% disapprove? 40% That's incredible. I mean, just random statistical noise would suggest that it should have moved. It's just kind of strange. Right. Not like in a sinister, suspicious way, but just a like, wow, that's crazy that it's literally
0: the exact same finding
1: Mm months I mean,
0: it's interesting because, you know, for sure, his book, and this is one of the criticisms, like, why do this book now? And, you know, is he kind of giving away too much of his inner thoughts that maybe change the world around the investigation or make people feel differently about Comey. That's been some of the coverage. But you don't see any of that whatsoever in these poll numbers. His favorable ratings are basically exactly the same as they were in December of 2017.
1: And independents have not really come around to his side. Uh, not necessarily that they believe Trump either, but independents gonna independent, and forty-two percent say they don't believe Trump or Comey when it comes to their accounts of any of this. Well, what then? I mean, that they are both unreliable
0: narrators yeah. when it comes to what went down, right? So among Republicans, Republicans, (laughs) 70 percent believe Trump overcome Comey. Eight percent believe Comey. And among Democrats, 67 percent believe Comey. Two percent believe Trump. Partisanship is a hell of a drug. Wow.
1: Uh, But let's talk a little bit more, not about the independents,
0: because plenty of independents vote. Right. Let's talk about those non-voters. Non-voters. So this is from USA Today, and they did this with Suffolk, I think. And they did a survey of 800 infrequent or unregistered voters, and they felt, you know, in some ways, some of these things are actually kind of consistent with what voters overall feel. Fifty-six um, percent of poll respondents said that they feel the country's on the wrong track. The numbers overall for the country are pretty uh, pessimistic, so that's consistent. His unfavorable rating is 55%. That's also not different, not that different from where the national numbers are. Um, but yet at the same time, 83% say they are not very likely or not at all likely to vote, um, or, you know, the next time in the midterms in that 2018. And for, for a lot of races and for Democratic chances in particular, but maybe also for Republican chances this time around, because part of what will need to happen in some of these races is, Republicans who maybe feel a little bit less enthusiastic or a little bummed about how things are going may stay home. The surge in turnout has been on the left. The depression of turnout is for sure on the election so far has been on the right, perhaps more than the surge on the left. Um, so, so this matters, you know, whether or not people feel like they're going to vote next time uh, around. And it was interesting what people said. They said, you know, they, they won't vote. They don't feel their vote counts. Um, they don't feel it makes a difference. Uh that's not something that people who typically vote often say.
1: And this poll for me raised some interesting questions that I I often hear my friends who work in the like, let's improve our democracy space bringing up, which is you know voter turnout in the US is lower than in many other established market democracies. I mean, you have countries like Australia where voter turnout is nearly 100 percent because it's compulsory. Right. Um, some it, states
0: more have more of a culture where people vote more often than right. others. Yeah. Some
1: states have a culture of mail-in balloting, which mm-hmm. is easier to do. So it varies from state to state. It varies from country to country. But overall in the US, voter turnout is just lower than in most of the developed democracies type rest of the globe. So sometimes I'll, I'll have these conversations where I'll say, man, we really want to figure out how do you boost voter turnout in the US? Is there anything you could do to persuade some of these non-voters to participate to tell them that it matters. Um, And one of the things that I struggle with is on the one hand, these folks are saying, I don't pay much attention to politics because politics is terrible and politicians are terrible and it's all corrupt and it's like this negative nastiness. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, anger and disgust are motivational in a big way. Look at the huge democratic turnout that you're seeing in the Trump era, right? Right. I mean that's like – They're mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore. And so what is kind of tough is these folks are like, we want to encourage more people to turn out to vote. And like the tough reality is like strong negative emotions about what's going on in your country. It can be really motivational. But, you know, you would never see like a good governance Yay, democracy group being like, yes, let's find out ways to get more voters, like, really ticked off. Right,
0: right. I mean, the things that, you know, are part of standard GOTV, get out the vote. That's what that stands for. Efforts are things like making sure a neighbor reminds you to vote, someone you know, as opposed to a stranger and having, you know, do you have a plan? Do you need a ride? Is there a way we can make it more convenient? Do you, you know, all those, you know, making sure you're reaching people a couple different times in a variety of different ways. There's all this sort of organizational structural stuff to help get people vote to vote when a lot of it may just be. You know, how you just, you know, atmospherics that are beyond the control of the folks reminding people, you know, do you have a plan? Don't forget, you know, early voting starts X, Y and Z date like that. There's that at roots, but the root then there's the other root, which is just sort of the climate that is beyond your control. The Suffolk um, USA Today poll was actually similar to a poll that they did in 2012. So you could look we'll link to it as always. You can look and see how people responded um, to the previous poll. Um, and here's some things that they said, and I don't think they have a comparable sample of people who were voters to see how voters feel about some of the stuff. But – so let me give some examples. So two-thirds of these sort of less frequent voters agree with the statement. I don't pay much attention to politics because it is so corrupt. Um, in the poll that we talked about last week, we had Jeff Pollock on last week. We had the Navigator poll. We did a whole section on corruption. We didn't ask that specific question. But there was you know, this sense, and this included voters and included persuadables and included people who voted, that corruption is pretty pervasive. It's something that people worry about across party lines. They worry that lots of people in office are corrupt. And so I'm not totally sure that corruption is the main reason that people don't vote because there are people who vote who also feel that there is corruption. And that's why they vote. Right. That, that too. Or that, you know, they have to they have to make sure their voice is being heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so but it's still nonetheless interesting and worrying regardless. I I'm not trying to dismiss this. I just would like to know what the what voters, how voters overall or regular frequent voters would answer that question. Um Then they had some other questions here. Uh, Oh, in two is actually the corruption number is actually a little bit higher than it was in in 2012. And also, 63 percent said they agreed with the statement. I don't pay much attention because nothing ever gets done. It's just a bunch of empty promises. That's up a little bit from 2012. Not a lot, though. I mean, it's up. These numbers are not. I mean, they've they've been high. I mean, this is you know been hiding in plain sight. These views, they've increased some, but not dramatically.
1: So one of the big issues then that – when it comes to non-voters is young voters and how many of them will be non-voters versus how many will actually participate. Uh, big open question for these midterms. Uh, I believe – isn't the average age in the Arizona 8 race like, of a voter, wasn't it something like – I mean it was like high 60s? Into the 70s, I I believe I saw an analysis of like the voter file from that district, Mm -hmm. or of like ballots that had been returned and things, and it was like, oh, the average age of a voter in this race dropped from
0: 66 to 64 yesterday. Oh God! Whoa. Arizona. So you, so, you know. Youth wave, right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the Harvard Institute of Politics has their youth poll out. And they've been doing a very interesting thing with their release strategy. Normally, they just like drop the poll and are like, hello, world. Here's our poll. And this time, they've been more methodical, releasing it in bites and chunks. Which is how a lot of outlets do topic it. Topic by topic. So good. that's a, that's like a savvy move. And the most recent chunks that they have dropped have been about guns and have been about the opioid crisis. So the gun section I'll talk about for a second because this – I actually wrote my column at the Examiner about this today. So there's been so much talk about is the gun issue the political awakening issue for Gen Z. Mm -hmm. Um, Bear in mind, the Harvard Youth Poll is 18 to 29 years old, which means that this is not all millennials. In fact, a pretty healthy chunk of that age range is technically Gen Z at this point. Um, So – you know, you can't just say it's a millennial poll now. Sure. But, you know, I'm I was interested, okay, so what does this poll say? does this poll give us some new evidence? Mm-hmm. And and the release from friend of the show, John Della Volpe, who we love, um, you know, really kind of like leans into the case that like, look, young people in this poll, they are energized by this issue. Um, the, the quote from him in the press release is the intensity among gun control advocates is palpable and this is now a lethal issue for incumbents standing for re-election
0: in the fall. I was like, whoa. Don't use gun control, John. That's my note to John. So they also have a question about stricter gun – yeah, I I know. I know how you feel about this. It's OK. It's all right. I'm just going to issue him a warning and next time there will be a citation. (laughs) So
1: so in the poll, one thing that they definitely show is there has been a shift in young people's views on this issue compared to 2013 for sure. And even on some of the questions compared to 2017. That there has been an uptick in – uh, for instance, the percentage who say that they believe we should have gun laws that are more strict. I know you hate yeah, that no, question, it's fine. but even uh, with that, yeah.
0: But and and also, their last poll had a sh- so this their previous poll, which was before Parkland, showed a slight uptick. It hadn't. I don't think it went into this amount of detail, but there was a data point because I mentioned it in an article a couple weeks ago from their like 2012 or 2013 poll. Yep. So this is it's not just a Parkland. Piece. And I don't even know if this poll was – was this poll conducted post-Parkland? It was, it was post-Parkland. Yeah, but um, they showed some evidence of it before Parkland. So
1: this is – it shows – on the one hand, you know, they ask questions like how important is gun control in determining your vote in 2018? And you have like, wow, 77 percent say it's going to be important to their vote. And then you've got, you know, questions about NRA favorability. NRA favorability has gone down. I think they found 58 percent said that they supported an assault weapons ban. So I went to write my column like, okay, does this poll constitute evidence that this is Mm -hmm. the political awakening moment for Gen Z and this is the driving issue? And I think the data is actually much more mixed than what John suggests when he says like, oh, this is a lethal issue for incumbents with young voters. Mm -hmm. Because when you take a look at the data of what older voters think, in some ways it's actually identical to these findings. Like they find 58 percent of young people say they support an assault weapons ban. It's sixty seven percent in mm-hmm. Quinnipiac among you know everybody. Mm-hmm. In fact, in Quinnipiac, younger voters are the least likely to I mean it's it's the, that poll within the Quinnipiac poll there's a lot of mixed evidence. But you actually find huge generation gaps on immigration, on climate change, on race, on a ton of issues. And in Pew's research, they have consistently found very little generation gap on guns. And these numbers, when I checked them against, okay, well, how does an overall population feel on this? It was about the same. The other thing is on the question of how important an issue is this. So I I emailed John and I asked him, I said, hey, did you guys ask this of other issues? Like how did guns stack up to other things? And they hadn't asked it of any other issues. It was just guns alone. So it makes it hard to say this is the driving issue because it's the only one you asked about. When you do – like Pew did this in 2016. They asked voters, how important is issue X to your vote? And they did a whole battery of them. Eighty-seven percent of people said the economy was very important to their vote. Eighty-some percent said terrorism was very important to their vote. Seventy-some percent said foreign policy was very important to their vote. So people always say a million things are important to my vote. So in some ways – it's hard for me to know does that seventy seven percent constitute a big finding, or is that like a meh
0: finding if I don't have anything to compare it to? So right. So I and it's not so I don't want to say that I disagree, because it's not that I disagree because I do I first of all I'm of the belief – I've written and I think the data support this – that people have been supportive of a lot of these positions for a very long time. This is not brand new that majorities support strong, a variety of specific stronger gun laws. That's not a post-Parkland phenomenon. That's something we've talked about on this show. I've written about it for the better part of a decade. It's That's not new. What is different – and that's hard to really capture in polling. Is there something different in the coverage or how candidates are responding to the issue or talking about the issue? The NRA piece, I think they have taken a hit. And that's, I think, that's. But they've taken a hit with all. Of, so right. This so was my that's point. Separate, is on is all it a youth these, thing yeah. or is it an everybody thing? And is it a new thing versus a thing that's always been there? Or is it a like cultural coverage candidate thing and not a public opinion thing because public opinion has always been there. So those are all different dimensions of looking at this. I, and I think it's a a little simplistic. I'm not sure if John's saying this, or not John, but the Harvard IOP poll is saying this, that this is just a province of the of young folks who are all sort I don't think I don't know nope, if he's saying, I don't that. Think they're saying that. But certainly as far as activism goes, there seems to be something happening there. That's not necessarily a poll data point that may be more of like a cultural attention and coverage and energy kind of thing, which is perhaps a trailing, a lagging indicator of support for stronger gun laws that has been there for a very long time.
1: Yeah. So I my my point is not that this is not an issue. That It's right. just that I still think that the conversation around, oh, this is the moment of political awakening right. and this is the issue. I, I just – I still – I see evidence like this and I'm like, but there are a lot of other explanations for this. It could well be, but I don't think we have enough evidence right now to know. And especially if we're thinking about Gen Z, if we're like using these generational definitions, there's still a lot of Gen Zers in middle and elementary school. So in the same way that when I say 9/11 was a moment of political awakening for millennials, there were a lot of millennials who were in middle and elementary school back then. You know, it's these things are kind of hard to. Anyhow, the point of my column was just that I I am still not convinced that young people are dramatically different from everybody else on the gun issue. Right. That, that certainly right. there's been movement, but there's been movement across a lot of different generations, and I also still don't necessarily believe that guns are the driving issue for young people. Yeah, I, and there's a way to prove it, but it hasn't been proven to me yet.
0: Yeah, I I I, I think. I mean, I guess I'm not sure yet. I hear your point, and I'm not sure yet. I do think there's clearly something happening in terms of the excitement and energy. I, I, that seems to be true, and whether or not that's reflected yet in the polling that we have available, I think we need more. We need more tracking. We need more. We need more tracking to see how these numbers compare to other issues, compare young people, to older people, and now as the sort of that Parkland window ha- is. Faded a little bit, but you still – there's obviously still attention to it. But you know now we're in the heat of the campaigns. Now the other thing would be to see how different candidates running for office handle this as we emerge from primaries or as we are in primary season. How do Democratic candidates talk about it? How do Republican candidates talk about it? What happens next? That – you can't quite get out of these polls, but it will matter if you see more candidates to voting paid airtime to talking about guns. That may well change how this all goes.
1: So the other piece of the poll then focuses on uh, the opioid crisis and the use of medical marijuana, which I thought was interesting. So they find two-thirds of young Americans support expanding the use of medical marijuana as a substitute for chronic pain patients who are currently being prescribed opioids. Democrats are more likely to support it than Republicans. Independents are right in the middle – Independent's going to independent, um, but even a majority of Republicans say that they support this policy. Which I actually, I will be honest with you, I didn't realize this was a like I I know there's a big debate about medical marijuana, but I always thought it was more for alleviating nausea. And like I I thought that I never thought that about it as a replacement for like hey instead of taking Vicodin, yeah, we've
0: prescribed. Pop yeah, for you. I had somebody. Talk to me about this, putting this in a poll, like, not that long ago, actually. So Yes. so But I hadn't seen any other public polling on it until this.
1: Well, young people are on board. Uh, the other question they asked was about supervised injection sites for those who are addicted to opioids. 32 um, percent say they support the sites. 36 percent oppose them. 30 percent do not currently have an opinion, which I kind of understand because that, for me, raises a lot of questions. Supervised injection sites – of of what? I mean, I assume it means you're help- you're making sure that people aren't like sharing needles, or right. they're not accidentally injecting fentanyl, when in they're you know the right. Dates. And
0: then you have some sort of care there, as opposed to tying up your first responders driving all over to go to the same locations. I suppose. Right. I mean, these are all really tough questions, right? Do they solve the problem, or are they just like ha- handling an existing problem, or does it solve the root causes of a problem? I, I don't know. This is you know this to me. These are. They're, they are public opinion questions, but there is an answer to them that's not a public opinion question. They're, these are sort of medical and social policy kinds of questions. But what was you know, troubling – and this is consistent. We saw something I, – I I apologize. I don't remember whose poll it was from a couple weeks ago about how many people have been affected personally by a family member or a close friend and this poll shows about 12% say that they've been affected by someone pretty closely by the opioid crisis and that was very much in line with the numbers we saw from some other poll a few weeks ago. I mean that seems to be the number and that's that's not a small number. I mean that's a that's a big number.
1: Yeah. Uh so we said we were going to talk about guns, drugs and abortion. Yes. So we're now we're at the uh we're at topic number 3 on that list. Yeah. Uh PRRI uh friends of the show who are always producing really interesting data about Americans' views on cultural issues, um, has done some polling about the issue of abortion and they find in some sense things that are not surprising. um, Partisan differences on whether abortion should be legal or uh, in all or most cases, 71 percent of Democrats say yes, it should be legal in all or most cases, 56 percent of independents, only one in three Republicans say the same. So some of those findings are not terribly surprising. Something that really intrigued me is that there is not a significant gender difference on the issue. Um, they say, you know, there are critical fault lines along age, race and ethnicity, religion and party affiliation, but notably not gender. And they find that to the extent there is a gender gap on the issue, it doesn't exist on the Democratic Party and doesn't even exist with independents. It's within the GOP is the only place you actually find any kind of a notable that gender does not gap surprise me. on the issue. And it's still – you know, 39 percent of Republican women say abortion should be legal all or most of the time compared to 30 percent of men. So it's a nine-point gap. It's not huge. But it it intrigues me in that I think this issue gets talked about a lot as like – this is a big issue where like women and men's views are so radically different. Mm-hmm. And I've I've never really seen data that suggests that. And this is just another data point that says that that's not really the case. Mm-hmm. And it, to the extent that it exists, it is like a within the GOP mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it's still – it's only that, like that nine-point gap. Um, where there are bigger ga- gaps again are things like race, things like age, which – abortion, like guns, is an issue that for a long time I have seen evidence that the generation gap is not that big. Mm -hmm. Huge generation gap on immigration. Huge generation gap on climate change. Huge generation gap on race and police and tons of issues. But abortion and guns were the two not so much. Is that changing? And in this poll here, they ask people, compared to five years ago, are your current views on abortion more opposed – Or more supportive than than they used to be, which is kind of a hard question because you're asking someone to like remember what their views were five years ago and and make that judgment. But nonetheless, I think the results are interesting that for people 30 and up, the movement has been pretty balanced. Um, For people in their 30s, 30 to 49, you have 14 percent who say they're more opposed, 9 percent who say they're more supportive. For the oldest folks, 12 percent say more opposed, 6 percent say more supportive. But for young people, 18 to 29, 9 percent say they're more opposed, but 25 percent say they're more supportive. So is this the beginning of a shift where there actually is a more pronounced generation gap on the issue? This is the first piece of data that tells me like, huh, maybe this is something that's – maybe there's something going on here.
0: Right. Is that going to be problematic for – Keeping young voters Republican or encouraging them to stay with the Republican Party. Throw it on the pile. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. You know, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, Democrats are so are typically, obviously, there are all. You know, life is a wonderful, complicated tapestry. People have all kinds of different, wonderful views that diverge. Um, Democrats tend to be pretty unified on the issue of abortion, so it doesn't surprise me that there's not as much of a gender gap. That's consistent with what I've seen elsewhere. It, It doesn't surprise me that the gender gap is on the Republican side, and it doesn't surprise me that the gender gap is that Republican men are more opposed than Republican. And women that like that feeds the the narrative on the left that this is about this isn't about sort of mora- like more morality or worries about the morality of abortion as much as it is some sense of you know how women should behave that it's like and. and and i don't think that's what this shows but that, I, I think that, that is inferring a lot that it's republican more than that men feel that are more are more likely to be anti choice that's you know that's that's what those it numbers it is only suggest. a 9
1: point difference which is not nothing but it is not like a yawning I've 30 seen, point difference
0: that's true and i've seen i've seen other data on other kinds of you know like things like birth controls birth control okay and you know in the week of the was that the 12 primary with um, Rick Santorum when he was like birth controls not okay and then there was all this polling like is birth control okay and you know it turned out like everyone, everybody says yes everyone says yes except like, for Republican men you know we're like no birth control's not okay everyone else was I like I do think
1: it was a majority of Republican
0: men though I'm going to go back to it and find okay. it because it Let's was like it was definitely because I remember thinking man that is a big and that was a much <laughs> more of a yawning gender okay. and party I, gap than, this, than this thing but, but
1: what's notable is that even though in this poll you're showing that You know, young that shift among young people. The overall trend line actually nudges slightly more in the uh, more people saying that they think abortion should be illegal in all or most cases. Now it's still not the majority legal in all or most more cases. Still is the majority view, Um, but that trend line those these trend lines had been real close together in sort of the mid in like 2014, and then. Sort of expanded out and through 2016, 2017, pretty big gap there where legal in all or most cases had like about a, you know, was a 15, that's a pretty big advantage mm-hmm. over illegal in all or most cases. Mm-hmm. And that gap has narrowed very, it's slightly, it's not a big change, but it has narrowed in this poll. So it is, the poll is not showing that America in the aggregate has become more pro-choice in the last year. Um, but it is showing that at least for young people, they are feeling their own
0: views moving on this issue. So the, I just went back to look at the full thing to see if there was anything else I would want to know that was right here in front of my face. But there was um, – they did a question. Do you think it's compl- – do you personally believe that abortion is a complicated issue or would you say that the issue is simple and straightforward? So this is not in the script. And so do you, and they broke it out by do you think it le- should be legal in all cases, legal in most, illegal in most, illegal in all. And the folks – so – Folks who feel it should be uh, – they're on either end, legal and all or illegal and all, they're more divided between complicated or is it simple and straightforward? Both groups, basically 50-50. The folks who are legal in most or illegal in most, there's some midpoint. Those are, folks are far more likely to say this is complicated. Yep, so, which makes sense. It makes sense, sense. <laughs> but it's interesting. But even the folks who are on one – like poll or the other, they are still divided themselves whether this is complicated or whether it's simple and straightforward.
1: Very interesting. And they also, by the way, have a question where they ask, does abortion go against your personal beliefs? And here they find that among those who say that abortion does go against their personal beliefs, about 34 percent still nonetheless say it should be legal in all or most cases. It's the like, I wouldn't do it. I think it's wrong, but I don't think the laws should prevent you from doing it. And then for disagree, this one is the one that really perplexes me. Abortion does not go against my personal beliefs, but I still believe it should be illegal. It's 20% of the like that. I'm like, I
0: don't know. Are they just like? I totally
1: get the I think it's wrong, but but I don't
0: view that's not my, you know, that's your decision. But I don't
1: get saying, I don't think abortion is a moral problem but i also think we shouldn't have it or maybe like that, that, maybe that, that is person maybe those, pe- maybe those people those are like this, this is
0: the 85th question on abortion and i'm totally i'm confused i don't know you know it's
1: that's it that was fascinating to me that was fascinating to me
0: okay let's so, talk about starbucks starbucks
1: so first there's some really interesting polling here and this is huffington post yougov where before they dive into the specific question of starbucks they ask about when you're in a store or restaurant do you often worry that you'll be perceived by others as doing something wrong. And for white respondents, 82 percent said no. For black respondents, it was 58 percent said no. For Hispanic respondents, it was 67 percent said no. So majority said no, but there's a huge difference there between white respondents and respondents from communities of color. Um, Would you generally feel comfortable asking to use the restroom in a store or restaurant at which you hadn't yet purchased anything? White people, much more likely to say right. yes to that question, whereas for black and Hispanic respondents, less than half say that they would. Um, do you feel comfortable waiting for a friend or store at a store or restaurant at which you hadn't yet purchased anything? This is one of those like, I never would have even thought that this is a thing that would make people uncomfortable. Right. And yet, only 40% of black respondents said yes, they would. Um, so I think that's like it has been an eye-opening. Like I read a story that someone wrote about... You know the very first, when they were a little kid, an, an African American writer when she was a little kid, like going to a store with her grandma, and she had grown up in a in a black neighborhood and whatever, and like they went into a store that was in like a the white part of town, I suppose, and and like she was just you know playing with toys in the toy aisle, and like and her grandma was like, we got to get you out of here, and and she's like didn't understand, she's like because there was a lady following you around because she thought you were shoplifting because it was just you know a kid playing with toys. And like that – the idea that even as an adult, she says now like when she goes into a store, like she doesn't put her hands in her pockets. Like she doesn't want to do anything to send off a signal that she might be shoplifting because she knows she's more likely to be like accosted for, hey, were you shoplifting because of her skin?
0: I, I just – you know, it – I mean, the you know, obviously there are downsides to folks being able to sort of take out their phone and videotape everything. But this is one of the – like the – benefits of people doing that, the sort of citizen reporter, because we get to really see all these images. And they're, you know, I think they're very persuasive for a lot of folks who hadn't really thought about it, and not because they didn't want to think about it, but because they weren't confronted with having to think about it. And now that they have been shown evidence of how pervasive this is. I mean, there was another incident where some um, African-American folk's Call the cops on a group of African American women who were playing golf, and they said that they were playing golf too slowly. And there are marshals to kind of help you navigate that, but instead they just called the cops. Um, and, you know, then they had, it's, and the, like, the people called the cops were like the son of the owner of the club. I mean, something really horrible, right? And, and so these stories now are getting – as a result of these incidents are getting more coverage too. Like I might not have seen that story about the golf course if this it hadn't happened two days after the Starbucks story. So I think that's a good outcome of some of this coverage and hopefully it will cause people to think a little bit differently about, about how common these, these issues are even though – you don't totally see that in the polling yet. You still have a lot more white voters who feel, well, this is an isolated incident. This was uh, this was from uh, the same Huffington Post YouGov poll where they asked, um, you know, of people who had heard at least a little, do you think it's an isolated incident, part of a broader pattern in the way Starbucks treats black people or part of a broader pattern society as a whole treats black people or aren't you sure? And among uh, white folks who responded, you had almost 50 say it's an isolated incident. You had n- just about 10 percent of black respondents who said the same. Um, that's a pretty big difference.
1: The most notable piece of this chart is not that white people mostly think it was an isolated incident and black respondents mostly think it was a part of a broader pattern. But that Hispanic respondents are the most likely to say that it is part of a broader pattern in the way – Starbucks treats black people. That like they're just as likely to say that as they are to say it's isolated or it's a societal right. thing. Right. Which that if you're Starbucks, like right. if if people think this isn't about Starbucks, this is about just how people in a like how race relations work right. in the world today, that's less of a brand crisis for Starbucks if people think no, no, no. This is a Starbucks problem. This is how your employees and, – and you've now seen – that's like a right. huge issue. And so right. they follow up in the survey with some questions about Starbucks-specific response. Um, and about 30 percent of white respondents think Starbucks is doing too much to respond to the controversy. <sighs> uh, under Just under 40 percent say about the right amount. Um, Only about 15 percent say too little. For black respondents, you have about 30 percent who say too little. Um, almost half say about the right amount. Um, and for Hispanic respondents, you have – it's this interesting divide again. You have almost 30 – or about 25 percent of Hispanic respondents say they're doing too much to respond to the controversy compared to like 40-some percent that say about the right. So it's given that finding where Hispanic respondents were among the most likely to think this is a Starbucks-specific problem. I would almost expect them to be more critical of like, is this enough?
0: Have right. you, are you doing enough? Right, right. I don't know. I don't know. Right. That's very interesting. I mean, from my vantage point, it seemed like Starbucks did a good job of trying to run head into a crisis to try to diffuse it as quickly as possible, which is always the challenge with these things. The, you know, when you see companies kind of wait around for a week, it, that's when things get to be problematic and come up with multiple Explanations until they get to the real one that diffuses things. I think Starbucks was trying to avoid that kind of outcome, um, but that doesn't mean that it's it doesn't sting to be the center of a you know pretty troubling crisis. So okay. Now,
1: speaking of troubling crises, there are going to be lots of troubling crises on the screen at the what box the office. What the heck are all summer. these movies?
0: Okay, oh, I was trying for like a really <laughs> slick transition there.
1: Uh, I'm, a, I'm a novice at that. I, I don't want to pull a muscle.
0: I know. Mean, I, I know. I think we need to like actually write the script more than thirty seconds <laughs> to, in advance in order come to up come up with up, transitions yeah, on the fly.
1: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is this is our end of show segment where we talk about some non-scientific kind of garbagey poll on something we think is interesting. Variety asked this is t- this is just people who went to variety's website yeah. isn't it it's and i think like... <laughs> they must
0: have just loaded it cuz it's only it has like a couple hundred you know barely oh yeah it. it'll have more votes
1: they say which summer tent poll after avengers infinity war which is coming out this week um, would you be most excited to see topping the list is deadpool 2 33% of respondents did you see the first deadpool what do you think <laughs> no <laughs> You might. I don't. I actually can't. Don't know if you would find it enjoyable or not.
0: I mean, I did see that there's a new like action movie with Tom Hardy in it that I'm pretty excited. That I actually watched this like dumb trailer. You know, just oh, to is see. it Venom? Yeah, and I was like, okay, I'm interested. You know, <laughs> Like you got my attention. <laughs> I wish they would dumb stop trailer.
1: Putting Tom Hardy in movies where
0: he's wearing masks. The I, whole know, time. Like, I know. I know. What's the point? I know okay. they're not really using his assets oh. <laughs> properly. Um, I did see the, about, hear about the solo Star Wars movie. That looks something. That uh, looks good. Prior
1: to the most recent trailer coming out, I would not have picked this. The most recent trailer has me yeah. The, tra- it. the trailer looked pretty uh, good. I'm into it and. For listeners of this show who occasionally like to dabble in Kristen talking pop culture stuff, I am going to be joining Mary Catherine Hamm over at Federalist Radio Hour. The day before Solo comes out, she has never watched any of the movies before
0: at all. Wait, none of them?
1: None of them. She just ran the Star Wars half marathon down at Disney and took a picture with Darth Vader and was like, is he the bad guy? She's never watched any of them. So we're going to go through. We're going to watch a couple of them this
0: month. And then we're going to do a show about it. Oh, all right, that's good. I think
1: it's May 24th. Mark your calendar, Federalist Radio Hour. Kristen and Mary Catherine talk Star Wars.
0: Okay, that's good. I saw like the one, the recent one that nobody likes, whatever one that was, the Last Jedi. (laughs) I saw that with my kids, and I was like, "This is this is the I, like have like a third of the way through it. I'm like, this is the one nobody likes, isn't it? And I'm like, because this stinks. <laughs> I have no comment. Yeah, as that, an employee
1: of the Walt Disney Company, <laughs> I have <sorry>. no comment. <laughs> sorry, um, <laughs> Oceans Eight. Oceans Eight is on this list in fourth place. I'm am like cautiously
0: opt. I'm I'm nervous about it. That's, you know, it's that's fine. Is Incredibles the cartoon one from yes. like 15 years that's ago? Pixar. Yeah.
1: With the with the the villain who reminds me of Frank Luntz. Great. Well, that was the first movie. I don't know if he's coming back. But uh, <laughs> is he a syndrome? His name is Syndrome. <laughs> I'm going to show you a picture. Hang on. No offense to to Mr. Mr. Luntz. Oh no. But, um, I'm just saying, I'm just saying they got the red hair going, yeah, it's no that's a- good okay. no, that's good i'll I'm gonna
0: stop, I'll stop. that's great. That's just gonna prime everybody for my for my movie idea, okay, all right, so key fi- i've worked I've worked on it since we last discussed i'll tell you I'll tell you about it after we wrap, okay, all right, so key findings it's looking good for progressives on some of the big political trends, like gem performance and on things like guns. Yet Trump and Comey ratings continue to be stable, the, but the real feud is millennials versus everyone else. And I don't know what the heck Deadpool 2 is, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to see it this summer.
1: <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at At The Pollsters, individually at At Margie O'Meara and at K.Soltis Anderson. Find us at www.thepolsters.com or you can find us on Facebook, where we post links throughout the week to the stories we want to chat about on the show. If you like us, and we hope you do, tweet at us. Let us know. But most importantly, let other people know. That's right. Post a review. That helps us so, so, so very much. And before we wrap, I just have to flag that we just got an email. So Margie and I get pitch emails a lot. Yes, We got a pitch. New poll, millennials blame boomers for ruining their lives. Already on it. Hyphen, psychologist available for interviews. (laughs) There's a clinical psychologist in Austin, Texas, who would like us to interview him about this
0: topic? We could do why don't we do that's a, very a panel namely pitch of that person. And you know how we get like pitch, like Jaywow and Snooky do like an aerobics class. A comic or something? Book
1: about um Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding. And I was like,
0: I'm actually kind of <laughs> here for this pitch. <laughs> uh, Just kind of unconventional. <laughs> but I'll click. I'll I, open this. Okay, that's good. I like it. And thanks to Richard Fowell our producer, which is why we sound Slightly better than normal. Okay, thanks, bye.